And if you're constantly asking the question, what else? You put yourself in a percentage of the population. So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one size fits all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. My name is Selena Kulkarni and I'm a passionate investor, but with a difference. I spend half my time running a community for wealthy entrepreneurs looking to reach financial freedom in three to five years using exclusive real estate deals that deliver consistent, predictable cash flow. The other half of my time, I support motivated young adults who want to get started on their wealth building journeys. I've been a chartered accountant and investor in the trenches for over 25 years, but I didn't come from money. So I wanna help those who want to be self-made, master the fundamentals and fast track their financial freedom. I've had all the cuts and bruises in the past and now in this podcast, I wanna share real life experiences on what has worked, what hasn't worked and how you can take action that will set you apart from 99% of other investors so that you can get the results you want faster. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I want to talk about borrowing capacity. It's definitely something in my opinion that a lot of people don't give enough weight to. And in my opinion, it can really make or break your capacity to generate wealth. Whether you're starting out or you're a veteran, I think there are different considerations and I want to unpack some of those. But I really want you to understand that it's not some cursory thing that you look at in the background. It's something that you need to keep a watchful eye on at all times. So for those of you who maybe aren't familiar, this idea of borrowing capacity is really a reference to how much lenders are willing to give you in order to, say, for example, purchase real estate. Now, if you are someone who recognizes the power of real estate investing, and I'm not going to cover that in too much detail here, but needless to say, when you leverage your money, you increase its velocity and your capacity to control a larger pool of asset grows and therefore your capacity to grow your wealth exponentially increases. I know personally, my wealth would be a fraction of what it is today if I hadn't applied some of those leverage principles to the deals that I did. So the thing to understand about your borrowing capacity is it's not just a random number. It is calculated. There are complex calculators that a lot of major banks and other lenders use. They look at things like your income, your credit scores, existing debts, lifestyle costs, other assets that you own. But there's definitely more to it than meets the eye. The thing that you need to remember above and beyond every other factor is that the banks are all about managing their risks. I see so much press and literature around people getting very angry about bank profits, but you need to understand that they are in the business of making money. They are applying velocity to every dollar that they hold so that they can maximize their money. So getting upset about the profit that the banks make is a futile exercise. Here's the thing that's more important than all of that though, is that depending on what you buy and how you approach the banks will actually have a huge influence on how much you borrow over time. It might not change what the banks will lend you today, but over time, being really strategic about about it, applying some fundamental principles can make millions of dollars of difference, literally. People can be super flippant about the idea of borrowing capacity. They don't think about strategy and they just rush out to buy their first piece of real estate. 
And often what I've witnessed is that people buy the wrong property in the wrong area, maybe at the wrong price point with the wrong numbers in place, and then they find themselves completely hamstrung. Especially here in Australia and New Zealand, income is a massive limiting factor in what the banks are going to be prepared to lend you. And what happens is when you rush out and you buy whatever you can afford uh, without thinking about the effects is that you could hit a brick wall very early on in your journey and then find that you can't go further. Now you can be as strategic as you want if you're not making good moves. It's also really hard to get ahead. So, you know, there's so many variables that go into play. But the metaphor that I really like to describe how to think about borrowing capacity is this idea of trying to climb up out of a very deep well. Now you've got finite energy, you've obviously got finite limbs. And if you don't apply strategy to how you're going to get out of this well, then you will run out of puff halfway up and you'll just keep slipping down. So we want to use strategy so that we can utilize all of our strengths. We can be very strategic about where we put our feet and where we, we, we grab on. We can be strategic about where we pause and rest where it makes sense so that we can replenish our energy and then we can continue to climb. So that's my metaphor for you. I hope you like that. So the thing to also understand is borrowing money obviously isn't without its risks. And so we want to understand how to manage those risks. I know so many people who have overextended themselves during periods of time where the banks were very lenient with lending and then find that, you know, the market turned or they overextended and then they lose everything. Um, so we do need to understand that we get that balance right between leveraging every dollar that we earn. I guess the ultimate goal is really to use leverage to ratchet up our wealth faster, but without losing our financial stability. So let's look at the different stages of wealth building and how your borrowing capacity or how you might think about it in terms of your decision making. So first of all, let's think about the early stages. So if you're a young adult and you're just beginning to get a handle on your finances, understand you know, how to pay bills and you're starting to create surplus and you're looking down uh, this idea of I want to buy some real estate, whether it's to live in or to invest in. How you think about your borrowing capacity can be absolute game changer at this stage. So the thing that I would say, my tip here is it's not just about how much you can borrow. It's also about what you can buy. So I'm going to give you uh, an example of someone that I worked with years ago. She was a young lady. She was single. She was out there trying to buy her first piece of real estate on her own. And she had a reasonable deposit. From memory, it was about 40 or 50,000. So it was a good deposit. She'd worked really hard to save that up. And we looked around in the market and we could see that she could buy something fairly below average in a lower socioeconomic area, maybe that wasn't going to perform as well over time. Or we worked out that if she hung on for another, I think it was like six to eight months, got her deposit up to a slightly better level, that she could actually go out and get this particular style of real estate, which in contrast to what she'd been looking at, gave her a much higher probability of growth. Now, she decided to you know, follow that suggestion to the letter. She went out and purchased this piece of real estate. I think it was almost a year later. And that asset has completely outperformed anything that she would have purchased previously. Now, obviously, and I really want to drive this home, if you make decisions which end up being in bits of real estate that do perform really well, then you put yourself in the situation where the banks are more likely 
to be receptive to lending to you in the future. And that kind of leads me on to the next piece. And, you know, just to kind of wrap that up, actually, before I go any further, the reason I'm telling you about that particular young woman is that I really wanted to drive home this idea that property can set you up for more property or it can cripple you immediately. If she had purchased that unit, for example, that she had been originally thinking about, it wouldn't have grown much. The rental yield was terrible. The income stream from that property was terrible and it would have really flatlined. So her ability to then leapfrog into something else was was very limited. And the thing that you need to understand, and I'll share some data with you here just very briefly, the percentage of people here in this country, and you know, obviously Australia is quite unique because we are a very property hungry nation, but I think it's something like uh, of the population, seven out of 10 people aspire to have a an investment property like roughly six to seven out of every 10 Australian adults has uh, an investment property, which is actually a staggering amount. But of those, less than 5% have more than two investment properties, which again, tells us a little bit about how people hit some kind of wall and then can't go any further. If we then move on to this idea of, well, what should you be thinking about if you're at the mid stage of wealth building? Maybe you have bought one or two investment properties. As you know, accumulate wealth, obviously the financial landscape changes. And this is where you need to adjust your borrowing strategy in order to continue to move forward. Otherwise, you end up in that situation where the banks just say no more and you're done. This is where tenacity, I think, is really important. First thing I would say is don't accept the first answer that you get. As a person who has heard the word no, you can't borrow anymore many, many times, my kind of approach to that was, well, what else? What else could I do? And if you're constantly asking the question, what else? You put yourself in a percentage of the population that is very, very small, but has the higher probability of success. So if you are someone who maybe is already on the road to building their wealth, the thing that I would actually encourage you to think about is like cultivating this attitude of, well, what else could I be doing? Shop around to different lenders, talk to different brokers, learn about strategies where maybe your personal income is not a limiting factor. I really get that this middle of the road kind of area of your journey is incredibly frustrating. I know I felt very frustrated. I had accumulated a small portfolio of properties, but I hit a wall and the banks were saying no more. And I was getting really excited about how much wealth we'd created, but frustrated that I couldn't actually go any further. Recognize two things. Number one, you don't have to accept no as you know the final word, but also it is a stage of your wealth building journey where it does actually require a little more patience. The thing to have in the back of your mind is as your assets grow, they increase in value and the income that you're generating from those also rises. It makes the debt seem smaller and less significant. And we want that because we want to go back to the banks and say, well, look, the value of our assets relative to our loans quite significant. And the bigger that gap, the more likely it is that the banks are open to lending to you, particularly if those assets have had you know, incremental increases in income because then that income forms part of your income. This is the stage of the wealth building journey, this middle of the road or, you know, sort of uh, mid stage of wealth building where it's really important for you to question the value of everything you hold. 
from an asset point of view. I was really adamant about this when I was uh, at the mid-stage. I was like looking at every single property. Is this asset performing? Is it doing what I thought it would do? Is it likely to perform in the future? How much of a burden is it? What are the maintenance issues? Do I attract a good caliber of tenant? Those sorts of questions. So you almost want to think of each of the properties that you might ultimately have as someone that's working for you. And the real question you're asking is, are they working hard enough. Years and years ago, before my time, you could just keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. Income was not the limiting factor. And so what that meant was that if you every now and then you bought an odd property that was a lemon, the banks could care less. They just, they didn't care. Now, as the banks have experienced more economic fractures, they're getting more savvy about recognizing risk. There is a massive handicap associated with having limited income. The banks are all about managing risk. I've already mentioned that. So if you are someone with a fixed level of income, that's not particularly healthy or average, for example, as mine was, what they're looking at is how can you as a borrower show me the bank that you're a safe bet. So you've got to have that context at all times. This means if you are in the kind of the middle section of your wealth journey, you need to be thinking in terms of, as I said, are these assets performing? So the action steps that I would take at this stage are, you know, looking at your profit and loss for each property regularly. How much income is it generating? What are the expenses? And how much income or how much um, expense is it overall at the end of each year before tax? I think too many people accidentally carry underperforming assets and they just don't look at them. They're just not interested or they're just too busy doing other things or they think they have no choice. And so what happens to those assets is they sit in your portfolio, they chew up part of your borrowing capacity, and yet you are living with them because you just haven't got the bandwidth to do anything about it. There's no judgment there. There's no criticism, but you do need to realize that is actually, you know, slowing down your wealth building efforts. It's like carrying rocks in a suitcase when you could actually just put the rock down. Look at your interest rates. Look at the loans that you have in place on the assets that you already have. Could they be better? Is there some product out there that would help you structure these in a way that would give you a better outcome from a cash flow point of view? These are all the things. Is there things that you could be doing to improve the properties that would increase their income? You're looking at your working asset and saying for the capital that I have invested here, is it working hard enough for me? I guess the real kind of final key on this piece is that you need to be really hard nosed about performance. You can't be sentimental about a property and say, well, you know, grandma owned it and so therefore I want to keep it. We're assuming here that you actually care about building wealth as your highest value and therefore you're prepared to make decisions that may or may not be sentimental on the basis that that's going to get you where you want to go. So that's not to say, having said that, that you can't hang on to grandma's property if it's something that you deeply cherish, but you need to recognize that that is your highest value over wealth building. So that brings us to the third and final kind of stage of the wealth building journey, which is advanced wealth management. Now, whether you are at this stage of your journey or not, borrowing capacity still really matters. And I I really want to drive that home. The more advanced you are in terms of where you are on your journey, the more sophisticated you have to be about your financial maneuvers. So obviously the tension as we move towards a stage of life where transitioning into financial independence is you want to maybe grow your capital 
that might not have evaporated, but you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're taking on unnecessary debt. So let me just give you an extreme example. It could be a really bad move for a pensioner to be rushing out to buy leveraged property. Your runway to needing financial independence in terms of how long it is matters greatly. And so if your runway to, let's call it for want of a better word, retirement, if your runway is short, you don't want to be putting yourself under the pump and having to worry about debt servicing. So if you are at a later stage, what you need to be thinking about is capital preservation. That is really essential. And then managing or eliminating debt to manage the risk in the portfolio that you have. So in terms of thinking about borrowing capacity in the context of being in that final stage, I would be saying you might look at what borrowing facilities do you have in place. You might want to, for interest sake, understand what is my borrowing capacity. It could be a nice to know. And you know the reason it could be a nice to know is it could be really helpful to you when you're thinking about other members of your family that you could be helping. Sometimes younger people don't have the luxury of that timeline. And so maybe there's ways for you to support them by almost, I guess, giving them with their borrowing journey or, you know, helping them get better terms or things like that. You do have to be careful about that, but that's just something to consider. The other thing is that you could be in a situation where you know you're approaching retirement, but you are interested in taking on smaller, lower risk projects. I just want to finish out by saying that uh, if I look at my own journey, my ability to constantly be asking the question, how much will you give me today? What else? Not taking no or the first answer as the right one, continuing to be tenacious, being determined, looking for loopholes, if you like, which there aren't many, to continue to grow your wealth is ultimately what will set you apart from others and give you that capacity to continue to move forward. I think too many people give up at the first signs of trouble, at the first signs of getting no as an answer. And I genuinely think if you can kind of either be patient and just wait for those assets to grow in value or continue to hustle, continue to talk, have conversations, educate yourself, then you'll ultimately achieve the results that you want in far less time than if you just let the assets that you have ride. Till next time, take care. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.